You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, a podcast for music fans, where musicians and friends share some drinks and talk about the top 12 songs of the year without all that technical jargon. Join us for episode 64. This week, we'll discuss the best songs of 1993. Let's take a second to look back. The World Trade Center was bombed. The Waco siege at the Branch Davidian compound in Texas. Monica Sellis is stabbed during a match in Germany. The world lost Andre the Giant, River Phoenix, and Brandon Lee. TV shows that premiered in 1993, Beavis and Butthead, <laughs> CBS's Late Show with David Letterman, Frasier, Animaniacs, Walker, Texas Ranger, and The Nanny. Shows that ended included Cheers, Quantum Leap, The Wonder Years, Saved by the Bell, and of course, NBC's Late Night with David Letterman. And top movies included Cliffhanger, Jurassic Park, Fatal Instinct, Groundhog Day, Last Action Hero, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Sleepless in Seattle. As for the music, oh, some of my favorite music. For that, let's turn it over to your host, Rob Heitman, and a bassist who's living on the edge, Alan Campbell. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? Good, Rob. Thanks for having me. Uh, welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast. We'll rank the Dirty Dozen or Top 12 songs from 1993 while discussing that year's music and pounding back a few grams of bourbon or glasses of bourbon as we're doing. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, Alan, how the heck are you? <laughs> I'm living on the edge. Living on the edge. That's good. We'd like to thank everybody who's been active on Facebook. While we can't give a shout out to everyone, I'd like to call out a few people each week. This week, I'd like to call out Jill Slusher, Dana Hennon, Christina Jarneau, and Eric Stewart. Thank you for being part of the community. So, Alan, what do you remember about 1993? And did any of those bullets that I dropped on you in the beginning... Quantum, Quantum Leap, I remember that. That was a great moment. Yeah. Great show. I remember 93 as kind of being end of the grunge era. They call it the post-grunge era. Uh, grunge had come along a couple of years earlier and gotten everybody's attention. I remember seeing Nirvana on Saturday Night Live. I remember hearing Pearl Jam for the first time and going out and buying the album 10 the next day because I was so impressed. And then I remember later in 94, Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden was on the radio everywhere all the time. Yeah, I think post-grunge is probably... Probably like 95, 96, that's when it really started declining. Yeah. I mean, like this year we have some good grunge, but we'll talk about that later. But in 93, many bands were following the same dynamic model that Nirvana had employed. Dynamically down in the verses and then loud, crunchy guitars and tons of energy in the choruses. And speaking of Nirvana and Pearl Jam, they both released albums in the year of 93. And I have a feeling we might be talking about some of those songs tonight. It could be. For me, gosh, there was so much going on there. I tell you what, Last Action Hero, that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, felt so much like a Bond movie. It was so fun. I had a blast with it. Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, yeah. over and over, waking up. That was one of the classic things. Like, what would you do if you had infinite time to do anything? You make movies like Bill Murray did. Bill Murray, yeah. Join me in a belt of scotch. It's 9.30 in the morning. Yeah, but I haven't slept in days. <laughs> Okay, so today we're drinking, what is it? It's Corn Trooper. Corn Trooper bourbon. Yeah. 101 proof. Yeah, it's nice. It's a unified craft bourbon. It's a bunch of small bourbon producers come together and they put this product out. You can go to corntrooper.com, check that out. But it's really solid bourbon. It's one of my favorite just drinking bourbons. We're drinking the 2020 version. It's great. It's it, very tasty. It stands up to ice really well, too. Yeah, it drinks neat. It drinks on ice. It's really good if you're looking to make a really good old-fashioned. It's just such a solid bourbon. 
It has all of the notes that you'd find in a bourbon. There's yeah. nothing out of the ordinary. It's just a solid bourbon with all the taste you're expecting with a little punch, but not too much punch where it's like 120 or 130 proof. It's not that. Yeah. It's just one-on-one. It's kind of an upscale uh, wild turkey, really. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> really a bourbon guy myself, but this is good. This is You can tell it's a quality liquor. It's super smooth. It's super good. And it's all these local people, which I always love. I love helping out all the craft distilleries. It's it's mm -hmm. wonderful. Before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing the songs of 1993, and we'll share around 20 seconds of each tune, unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight. Then we may do a second clip. We have made Apple Music and Spotify playlists. Just search Official Dirty Dozen on either service to listen to each of our lists in their entirety. This way, all the money for playing tunes will always head back to the artists we discuss. We've also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist, which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast. So subscribe once and always be updated. We decided to link a song with the year the album was released because songs can chart in multiple years and we felt this was the best way to avoid duplication over the podcast. So the way this works is we combine our individual top 12 lists with a lightly weighted media list, which is taken from media sources on the web and combined into one list to create our official Dirty Dozen for 1993. We'll count down the official list from 12 to 1, nice and simple. But before we get going with the list, we'll each talk about a song that wouldn't be in our top 12, but we'd still like to discuss. We call this our Song of Note. So Alan, what's your Song of Note? Uh, my Song of Note is my Song of Note because it's the only cover song on my list. It's by Guns N' Roses, it's called Hair of the Dog from the Spaghetti Incident album. It's a cover of the old song by Nazareth. And by now in 93, there are three original members left in the band, Axl Rose, Slash, and Duff McKagan, with Matt Sorum on drums and Gilby Clark on rhythm guitar. Uh, they're good players, no doubt, but I kind of prefer Steven Adler on drums. I think his drumming just has a little more personality to it. Izzy Stradlin, by the way, is an underrated rhythm guitar player. He's really I, solid. I agree. I agree. But they really rock this song. It's a tighter and more focused version than the original, with Slash's guitar work really standing out. Solid as a rock. He does the talk box thing better, too. I don't care for the speed-up outro. I really don't see the point in that. But overall, it's very well done. If you're going to record a hard rock cover tune, you better do it better than the original. And they really succeeded at that, in my opinion. I think this whole album was like a way to keep their momentum after Lose Your Illusion 1 and 2. Maybe to find another hit after they had those successful covers for Live and Let Die and Knocking on Heaven's Door, which was massive for them. I'm not in love with this version. I, I guess I just hear the original version in my head and I have a hard time making that jump, but that's just because it's one of these staple songs that I've always kind of liked. Yeah. And it's hard to get the Nazareth version out of my head. This one, I'm okay with. It's a good cover. Great guitar hook too. Oh yeah. It's one of those songs that's just fun to play, yeah. fun to listen to. Yeah. yeah. Hair of the Dog by Guns N' Roses. Off the spaghetti incident, this is Alan's song of note. Let's listen. Okay, that was Hair of the Dog by Guns N' Roses, Alan's song of note. During the song, we were just chatting, which is something we probably shouldn't do, but we do. But we realized that this song probably would have been a hit if the lyrics didn't have 
now you're messing with a son of a bitch. The radio stations just won't play that. But with the original Nazareth version, there was nothing in place by the FCC that prohibited that. So it just went right through. That's interesting to interesting. know. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. So let's move over to my song of note. And this is interesting. I'm here in New, New Jersey and I am listening to local radio and actually on local radio for a little bit. And the song jumps out at me. It sounds so different from anything I've ever heard. And it's by an Irish band. The name of the band is Black 47. And they're a New York band, believe it or not. Hmm. They had an album called Fire of Freedom. And the song that was really popular, and I even saw it on MTV, it's called Funky K. Lee, Bridie's song. It's my song of note. It is fantastic. Let me tell you a couple things. A Kylie is a form of Irish dancing or an event where dancing and music is the feature of the evening. So a funky Kylie, it's a funky dance or dance party. And he actually tried to take the song. Well, here's the quote from uh, Larry Kerwin, who's the lead singer. He says, the song is actually an attempt to ensure that young people take care to use birth control when having sex. In Ireland, birth control methods such as condoms were illegal when I was growing up and so many women became pregnant. I wanted to do a song that would give a message, but not in a preachy form. I must have screwed up because the message never came through and now the song is a celebration of life. I suppose these things happen. Still, I don't regret Funky Kaylee being what it is. And the song gives so much joy to people. You can't beat that. Yeah. And they have this weird instrument in it. It's called the Yulian pipes or the Union pipes, which are like bagpipes, but they don't actually blow into them. It, they have like, a, I think it's a, a squeeze box effect. Yeah. But it sounds just like a bagpipe pretty much. I don't know why I love the song. The whole Irish jig locked in with rock really well. It was really attractive to me. The feel and the groove is amazing. I love the vocal attack and the storytelling. I don't know if you've ever heard it or... It's kind of an obscure song. That's why it's my in my song of note. Well, I can hear it now. So let's listen to Funky K. Lee by Black 47, my song of note. And I was just so, I can't tell you how happy I was that this song came out this year. So let's listen to Funky K. Lee. So good. So that's Funky Kaylee, my song of note. What do you think? I love the chord progression uh, and the drums sound great. The drummer's got that John Bonham thing going on. It sounds killer. Yeah, I just love that that whole Irish gig mixed in with rock. It's and... so Irish. I mean, you can totally tell. You don't have to tell somebody it's an Irish song. Right? Oh, you don't have to. No, 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 not at all. So now we're off to the main event. All right. Okay, we're ready for the main event. We're doing our Dirty Dozen, and we're going to start off with, as fate would have it, number 12. This is a band that we covered in episode 20. It's off an album called Get a Grip. Aerosmith. The band's Aerosmith, and the song is Crazy, and it's Alan's number nine. So, Alan, why don't you lead us off on Crazy, our number 12. 
Aerosmith is a hard rock band that does power pop ballads really well. This Every, album was filled with them, by the way. Everything about this song is very well done. I love the chord progressions. The way the pre-chorus sets up dropping into the chorus is perfect songwriting. And in the choruses, they use a technique where the four chord is followed immediately by the four minor chord, which makes it musically interesting and kind of underscores the angst in the lyrics. I'm not a big fan of the orchestral arrangement. The strings, I think the song could have worked just as well without it. But everything else, the instrumentation is spot on, production is flawless, great musical performances, and great vocals and vocal harmonies. The song won a Grammy, and the video, if you remember that, was a huge hit on MTV. And that's the reason you picked this song over the other. There there were three of them, three videos that came out from this album successively from their ballads, really. Yeah, I I picked it because of the music. Right. I did watch the video, though. Right, the third one, of the three... The one where Liv Tyler and Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> yes. But nobody even knew who Alicia Silverstone was before these videos came out, which is just really interesting and how an actor gets their break. And this was Alicia Silverstone, so it's kind of funny. Although the two girls were kind of frolicking a bit, jumping in the pools. And, and it's hard to believe Liv Tyler was only 16 years old at this time. And the weird thing is, like, if you step back and think about it, when they were making the video, the director must have been like, well, we need two sexy girls to act almost lesbian, but not quite and jump around all over this video. Uh, We have Alicia Silverstone. She's loving this stuff, so she's going to do one. And Steven Tyler's like, take my daughter. (laughs) Take my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've heard that there is a director's cut of the video that gets a little bit more risque than the the official version. But I can't imagine saying, my daughter would be perfect for that. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's it's Steven Tyler. What do you expect? I know, I know. I like it. Come here, babe. Even the beginning, right? The the bluesy kind of overtone. It's very... Yeah, the way he kind of half raps and half sings. And the mandolin is a pretty good touch, I think. Yeah. The solo is actually pretty good, and it feels good in the space. He's got that ballad solo, little solo thing down, I think. But Aerosmith's been around for 20 years by now, and so they know how to do everything right. Yeah, I think they've been for even more than that at that point. Anyway, let's listen to our number 12, Crazy by Aerosmith. Okay, that was Crazy by Aerosmith off of the Get a Grip album. I was talking to Alan and we're reminiscing and I just totally remember seeing Aerosmith in concert on the permanent vacation tour and seeing Steven Tyler just run around like a crazy person the whole time. And he has such energy and he has such... Such stage presence. Stage presence. And he has the ability to sing fast. Yeah. Without stumbling. Walk This Way is a good example of that. Yep. All right, so let's move to number 11. This is not on my list, but it's on the media's list, and it's on your list again. It's your number 10. This was close. This was on my list, and then it was off my list. It was very on the border for me. It's off an album called Tuesday Night Club by Sheryl Crow, and the song is All I Want to Do. So, Alan, since I don't have the song on my list, you can take the lead. All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow, who's not shy about letting everyone know that she loves a good beer buzz early in the morning. Don't we all? My kind of girl, just make sure you brush your teeth. (laughs) And the song begs the question, what does it look like when the sun comes up over Santa Monica Boulevard? I don't know if I've ever seen that. Is the sun wearing a mask, perchance? 
you know, the sunrise over the Hollywood sign. It'd be pretty pretty cool. No, this is California, so you never know. It could be. Uh, I love the groove on this, though. Yeah, this is a just a good poppy song with a fun, bouncy groove. Apparently, there was a group of studio musicians who called themselves the Tuesday Night Music Club. Right. And they played on this first Shell Crow album. So it's very well done. Great musical performances. I especially like the bass and drums. The rhythm section really makes the song, moves the song along. They actually helped write this. This was part of the jam sessions. This song kind of was birthed right. from one of those jam right. sessions. They used to get together every Tuesday night and just jam. All these musicians from the LA area. Uh, this song was one that came out of that. But you can continue. I'm sorry. And the lyrics tell a story. It's, it's a strange story, but the way she half sings and half speaks it, it just makes you want to listen and hear what happens next in the story. It's, it's yeah. just a very listenable tune, and it's no surprise that the song is so popular at the time. Yeah, and it's singable, and it's fun. I love that little ambience with the slide, and it almost sounds like a warped sort of vinyl effect she has going on in the beginning. Yeah, this helped launch her career. Yeah, and here's a quote from Sheryl Crow. This song was a throwaway. It wasn't even going to be on the album, but my brother kept saying, this is the big hit, so it ended up going on the album. It's always funny, like, the ones that are the huge hits, people are like, ah, we don't need that. That's too poppy, or that's too... Little brothers know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the spark for the song was a poem called Fun, but uh, Sheryl Crow said we were jamming in the studio, and I picked up the poem in a book, and the first line was, all I want to do is have some fun. So she actually read that and that started them on their journey to create mm -hmm. the song. Really fun and the, the video is fun. You see the band performing in Tennessee. Everybody's kind of watching them play. It's great. And won a Grammy for Record of the Year and a Best Female Pop Vocal. And only hit number two in the US though. If I think of Sheryl Crow, the first song that pops to my head is this one. Mm -hmm. So it's really good. It's our number 11, All I Want to Do is Have Some Fun, by Cheryl Crow off the Tuesday Night Club. And now you understand what that means. So let's take a listen. That was number 11. All I want to do is have some fun. <laughs> All I want to do is actually the name of the song by Sheryl Crow, our number 11. Now let's move into a more important song. More important. Why would you say that, Rob? Well, it's on my list. That's why I would say it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's the number 10 song overall. This is only on my list. The media and Alan decided to keep it off. This is my number five. And it's the number 10 song overall for us. This is by a band called Cracker. And the song is Low off of the album Kerosene Hat. I love the groove and the riff in the intro. It draws me into the song. The riff with the bend in the verse is also so great. Vocals are solid. It has He has that gravel in his voice that I always kind of like. The chorus is just instantly singable in this song. They have a, a nice black and white video. Really weird though. There's a couple of really weird videos that we may discuss during this podcast. Yeah. But this one is uh, Sandra Bernhardt is in mm -hmm. and it's intertwined with them singing and her like running and the lead singer, Lowry, ends up boxing with Sandra Bernhardt. And of course, if you're boxing with Sandra Bernhardt, you're going to lose. And of course he loses. But I don't think you could actually 
hit her in this well, either. Good for her. <laughs> I don't think it was a real fight. To Shouldn't say. box a girl anyway. <laughs> I know. Well, that was kind of the, the whole idea. The meaning has never really been explicit besides them saying that this is not about drugs. This is about a stone. They're calling somebody a stone. <laughs> So they can get on the radio because <laughs> the radio right, wasn't right. going to play it. Right. There are a bunch of drug references in it. Junkie Cosmonaut, a million poppies, going to make me sleep. It's pretty clear. I'll be with you, girl, like being low. Hey, 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 like being stone. But stone, like he was actually a stone. Mm. He wasn't stoned. Just making sure that that was clear. <laughs> well, the best drug references are obscure anyway. Oh, yeah, it's very obscure. <laughs> Crazy. Any thoughts on low? Do you know anything? I think you covered it. Okay. All right. Let's listen to our number 10 low by Cracker. Cracker ass Cracker. No, it's just Crackers. Obviously white guys. Huh? Yes, they're all white guys. Off of the album Kerosene Hat. Let's take a listen. All right, that was number 10, Low by Cracker. That's the first song that I can think of that's singing about doing drugs, although it's not officially doing that. Okay, whatever. About being low. It's usually high, right? Yeah. So, just a play on words, I guess. I mean, it was more like a heroin type of thing. They talked about poppies in the song, so that would be bringing you down, I think. That'll bring you low. Really low. I wouldn't know, thank God, but... uh. Neither would I, but I've I've heard stories. All right, let's move on from that low topic to a better topic. This one is a better topic for Alan and not so better for me, but it's also good because I had a song from this album on the list. Yeah. But it was lower than Alan's, so we can only have one of them on the list. I did not pick his song, but I love his song, so it works out great. I'm in suspense. What is it? And this is off of the album Siamese Dream. Oh, yeah. By the Smashing Pumpkins. This is Alan's number five. This was not on the media's list. The name of the song is Cherub Rock. So, Alan? I like the way the song begins, how the instrumental layers are added one at a time. It starts with some drum rolls and a clean-toned rhythm guitar. The drums come back matching the strum of the guitar. Bass and it's a joins. nice build. It really bass is. Bass joins in, then the heavy distorted guitar, and then the catchy hook that just comes in and sticks in your mind, and then the vocal in the first verse. It's such a well-constructed build from the semi-quiet intro into the full power of the song. Yeah, I love the pre-chorus vocal swell as well. Yeah. Who wants that honey? Come on. The solo is really good too, and I love the vocal attack on the tell me all of your secrets part. Billy Corgan has an interesting singing voice. You could call it whiny, but at the same time, he's remarkably expressive in his singing. Overall, this song strikes me as a good driving song. Where you're cruising along, you know, the highway, and next thing you know, you look down at the speedo and you're doing 80 without even realizing it. It's just a very listenable tune. And it's interesting, the Smashing Pumpkins didn't really record the song. All instruments were recorded by Billy Corgan. The only instrument he didn't record on this was the drums, and that was uh, Jimmy Chamberlain. This is a quote by Billy Corgan here. Uh, I wrote Cherub Rock in about an hour. I heard it one day and then was driving up the road, and it was one of the last songs I wrote before we did the album. The thing is, there's parts of me that wonder what would have happened if I spent four hours writing it and not done something else. <laughs> How much better of a song would it have been? He goes, I was suicidal. I've been plotting my own death for about two months. 
And if you've ever read anything about the warning signs of suicide, one of them is to give away all your stuff. And I'd given away all my stuff and I gave away all my records. I started giving away my guitars. I was fantasizing about my own death. I started thinking what my funeral would be like and what music would be played and all that level of intensity. And that was what he was thinking of when he was writing wow. Terror of Rock. No a little heavy. He's always dark. No wonder he was whining. <laughs> yeah, I hear it. But to answer his question, I think if he would have spent four hours writing it, it wouldn't have come out as good as it is. Sometimes, you know, songwriting happens on the spur of the moment and your first ideas end up to be the best ones. Yeah, that's probably true. Let's play number nine, Cherub Rock by the Smashing Pumpkins off the Siamese Dream album, our number nine. Okay, that was Cherub Rock, our number nine. It's such a good song. It's so fun. It makes you want to go out and smash some pumpkins for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole song is a big fu to like the hipsters and the record industry, pretty much in general. Yeah. So it's so much fun. Definitely a great album, Siamese Dream. And it was before Billy Corgan shaved his head too. I know. Moving from a quirky shaved head guy to the number eight, which was my number two overall, which you didn't have on your list. Oh, okay. The media didn't have on their list either. This video for this song may be the best video I've ever seen. And it was one of those videos that seared in my mind this song. The name of the song is Human Behavior, and it's by Bjork, offer for her debut album. I was just mesmerized by the bear and the movement through the woods in the video. And I don't know if you've seen the video. I'm going to play the video when we play this. Instead of playing the Spotify version, we're going to hear the YouTube version. Because I think you need to see the video. Uh, it really blew me away. And it's so well shot. I love the quirkiness of Bjork. I don't know what it is about Bjork. She has this sort of artsy, fun vibe about her. It just draws you in, I guess. Great vocals, her emotion, and a really catchy beat and song. She wrote this when she was the lead singer of the Sugar Cubes. Actually, let me just play this little clip from her talking about it. When I wrote Human Behavior, that was actually a melody that I wrote when I was in the Sugar Cubes. Um, and, it, and we never finished that song. I was, in a way, pretending a little bit that I'm David Attenborough and I'm looking at the humans like I'm an anthropologist, you know, and I'm trying to work out what sort of their behavior is. I saw this video and I was like, I don't know who sung this. I don't know what it was. And I kept searching for it. I'm like, where was that bear video? That bear video was just amazing. I can't believe. And then I realized it was Bjork. And she's quirky because she grew up in a hippie commune in Iceland. And she recorded her first album at the age of 11. Wow. She did a kid's album. And then she became the lead singer of the Sugar Cubes. And this was her first album. And Human Behavior was a huge, huge album. Do you, are you familiar with it at all? Or No, I originally thought she was a Swedish tennis player. <laughs> no, that's beyond... Borg, the tennis player. <laughs> yeah, it's all the same to me. Okay, well, let's listen to Human Behavior by Bjork, our number eight. Human behavior. What crazy video, right? 
Yeah, the, the Star Wars Death Star is up in the sky over the whole video. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just that the motion in that video of her running through the woods, of the bear running through the woods, of everything. And of but course, you can tell it's not a real bear. <laughs> of course, Some you got idiot in a bear suit. Yeah, you know, well, it's more like a stuffed animal. I think they have well, yeah. a stop motion. But yeah, it's it's so fun and it's she's so quirky and it's just so. It drew, it drew me in. I was like, I can't believe I'm She's watching got this. sparkling tears coming out of her eyes, too. Right, because she was sad about the animals, I think, yeah. or something. Uh, check the video out if you've never seen it. Anyway, that was number eight, Human Behavior by Bjork. And now we're moving on to number seven, and we all have this on our list. It's the album August and Everything After, and the song is Mr. Jones. And the artist, of course, is Counting Crows. And Alan, you had the song higher on your list, so you can start off. Great melodic song with a catchy chord progression. I love the clean rhythm guitar tone that he gets in there. Absolutely. The lead vocal is melodic and expressive. He's almost half singing, half speaking it. And the lyrics are interesting because he makes absolutely no attempt to rhyme anything in this song or compose lyric lines that have a cadence that you would associate with verses and choruses. And if you see him live, he actually talks a lot of the verse lyrics and he has it as though yeah. he's having a conversation with you. Yeah. It becomes more and more like a story. Yeah. So. It struck me as more of a rambling stream of consciousness narrative about unattainable things, unattainable, beautiful girls, unattainable stardom. But the whole thing works. The lack of rhyming, the lyrical inconsistency from the rhythmic point of view actually makes the song more interesting and to me this is just a fun song it makes me want to pick up a guitar and play along with it and people can remember sitting at a bar and looking across and being single and realizing that you didn't actually go up and talk to that person like but, you're not in the same league as she is or right, whatever yeah. it's about hanging out with a friend marty jones or mr jones at a bar too nervous to approach women and wondering how it would be so much easier if they were rock stars instead of poor musicians. He kept thinking that fame would cure all of his ills. He being Adam Duritz, the lead singer. When everybody loves me, I will never be lonely. You know that part. And what the song is not about. There's been a lot of rumors what this song is about. Number one, I think that Adam would like you to know that this is not about his dick. <laughs> and there was a rumor that's what it was about and secondly there was a rumor that there was an ancient blues man who taught him how to play music which is another thing that was around the rumor mill on the internet so oh boy. He, he struggled with fame when it actually came he started to hate this song a little bit because he reminded himself that he kind of asked for this and there's no such thing as everybody loving you like he talks about mm -hmm. especially in the rock and pop world whether you're Bon Jovi Aerosmith or Greta Van Fleet they're people who are not going to like you. And he got so upset. But once fame hit, he stopped writing for a year and delayed their follow-up until three years after this one. Hmm. I'm just impressed. You know, vocally, the guy is so expressive. Absolutely. And he sings vocal melodies that are unconventional. He uses phrasing and timing that's unconventional. But he just makes it work. So let's listen to our number seven, Mr. Jones by the Counting Crows. Well, let's listen. Okay, that was number seven, Mr. Jones by The Counting Crows. 
So let's move on to number six. Let's do it. Yeah, it's a good tune, though. I really enjoy that. Number six is by one of the best artists, I think, of the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. I don't think of him as a 90s artist per se, but on his Greatest Hits album, there was a new single that he placed on it, and that became a hit. This is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and the song is Mary Jane's Last Dance. This was my number 11. This is Alan's number, oh, two, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Big song for you. This is our number six overall, so Alan, once again, take the lead. I love the guitar work in this song by both Tom Petty and especially lead guitar by Mike Campbell. Great riffing, great solo work on And the dynamic part. feel of the guitar with playing both hard and soft is so yes, fantastic. Yes, yes, absolutely. He is an excellent player, highly underrated in my opinion. Nice harmonica in there too. Absolutely. And great vocal harmonies. The lyrics are interesting. They seem to tell a story. Not quite sure what it is. Is it about a girl or is it about weed? The video tells the story. Or maybe a little of both. <laughs> but yeah, but the video gets bizarre. Tom is in a morgue and he steals a body out of the morgue and then things get even weirder from there. Necrophilia, maybe. <laughs> it makes you wonder what they were smoking. Hey man, I never had no dope like that before in my life, man. But the song itself is extremely well done. The musical performances are spot on. The arrangement is tight. Production is excellent. Great clarity in the mix. I've read that Tom and Mike were both sticklers for getting the production and the mix just right, and they nailed it in this song. It is flawless. There's nothing I can find in this song to criticize. It's funny that Petty was really annoyed that he had to record a new song for his Greatest Hits album. So he asked his producer, Rick Rubin, to go and pick a song out for him, and he picked out this song called Indiana Girl from the outtakes of Full Moon Fever. Mm-hmm. And they worked on that, and it became Last Dance for Mary Jane. And Tom Petty said, I complained about that effing song so much. I'm really glad I did it now, though. Tom Petty actually played the guitar solo at the end. Really? Uh, yeah. Mike Campbell actually convinced him to do it after he heard what he did on the initial demo. And Kim Basinger, of course, is in the video. Yes. She's the corpse that they do a little weekend at Bernie's. And as Alan said, he wants and dines the corpse, and then eventually he throws her in the, the he, sea at the end. He walks her down to the beach and floats her off into the waves, and then her eyes open up, and then the video ends. Mike Campbell had this to say about what the song's about. My take on it is it can be whatever you want it to be. A lot of people think it's a drug reference, and if that's what you want to think, great. It could very well be. But it could also be just a goodbye love song. So whatever you like, I guess. The groove in this is just mesmerizing. The harmonies and the chorus are great, and the hook at the solo is great. Yes. Into the rest of the solo. It's just yes. fantastic. So let's listen to number six, Mary Jane's Last Dance by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Let's listen. Oh, my, my. Oh, hell yes. Honey, put on that party dress. Buy me a drink. Sing me a song. Take me as I come, because I can't stay long. Last dance with Mary Jane. One more time to kill the pain. Okay, that was number six, Mary Jane's Last Dance by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. What a good song that is. Let's move to number five. And this one was shocking to me because I didn't realize what the song was about. The media had this highest of all of us. Okay. It was the media's number four. It was my number eight. It was your number six. Are You Gonna Go My Way? by Lenny Kravitz and I never really knew what the song was about obviously it had that great riff and energy and like the Hendrixian feel of the vocal delivery but this song is about Jesus Christ 
who Lenny referred to as the ultimate rock star. And it's about how God gives choice to man about where to turn in the opening lines. He's talking about it. I was born long ago. I am the chosen one. I've come to save the day and I won't leave until I'm done. I had no idea this was a Christian song when I listened to it. Me neither. Yeah. I thought it was his ego. Yeah. Seriously. I love the energy in this song. The guitars are raw and aggressive. It's a catchy hook that is played through much of the song and it sticks in your head, but you don't get the impression that it's overdone. Also, the lead vocal is doubled. Artists do that all the time and a lot of times it just comes out sounding cheesy. But in this record, it sounds really good. It just really adds to the girth and the depth of the, of the vocal. It makes it stand out in a good way. I love the drums. In places, she reminds me of John Bonham. Okay. The bridge in this song has a good guitar solo, but the bass is soloing underneath, and the bass steals the show, in my opinion. The rhythm section really makes this song interesting. The, there's a great stutter step accents in the verses. I love the descending chord progression in the choruses. It's just a good tune all around. There's a lot to like about it. Yeah, you know, you've heard this song a million times, and I didn't think this song would be on my list, to tell you the truth, but I figured I had to give it an honest listen again. And then I started hearing the, what, what it was the, about. the gist of it, and it's Mitzvah number six. Let's play number five. Are You Going My Way by Lenny Kravitz off of the album of the same name. Let's take a listen. Are You Going My Way? My Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, it's just a fantastic tune. By Lenny. It's my favorite Lenny Kravitz song. That's not saying Me too. A, a whole lot. All right, so let's move on to number four. We're jumping to the top of this list. This was my number one song. Okay. This was the media's number one song. And this was not on your list, but you did have another song from this album. This is off of the album In Utero. Right. And this is Nirvana. And the song we're talking about at number four is Heart Shaped Box. Yep. For me, it's the perfect song. Arpeggio and then the lick, a soft, eerie sound. The full volume chorus is so good and then soft for the verse. I love the back and forth. For me, like the big question, I don't know about you, is what is this song about? Five or six options on this. I'll give you six. How about that? Number one, Cobain claimed that this song was inspired by a television report of children suffering from cancer. Number two. His relationship with Courtney. The lyrics are about an unstable relationship, and Pisces and Cancer are both of their astrological signs, which are both mentioned several times in the song. So it kind of leans in that direction. Three, a box that Love gave to Kurt, containing, among other things, a doll's head and a key to her hotel room. Number four, female genitalia and uterus. After Alana Del Rey did a version of this song at her concert in Australia, Courtney Love took to Twitter in a series of quickly deleted tweets. She wrote at Lena Del Rey, you know, this song is about my vagina, right? Throw down your umbilical news so I can climb right back. Hmm. On top of some of the lyrics I contributed about my vagina, the original title of the song was Heart Shaped Coffin. So that's what she texted and then she took down Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Warning to you all, the internet is forever. <laughs> Number five, written from the viewpoint of an aborted fetus. 
which mm. is the darkest one of them all. Yeah. And number six, Kurt wrote this about a stash of old love letters to his wife, Courtney Love, written by her former flame, Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins. And the letters were stored in a heart-shaped box. With their love letters, yeah. So anyway, nobody knows which the right answer is. <laughs> I have some ideas, but and it may be multiple. It may be like two and four. It may be one, two, and four, or maybe whatever you want to choose. It's probably some combination of those six. So any thoughts about Heart Shape Box? Well, yeah, I, I had a on my list a different song from the same album, but just generally about Nirvana, I think Cobain's talent as a songwriter is, is really underrated. And I don't think you could ask for a better rhythm section as a vehicle for, for his songs to support those songs. Chris Novoselic is a perfect bass player for Nirvana aggressive modern sounding bass tone he plays exactly what he needs to play nothing more nothing less he serves the song and dave grohl of course is the perfect power drummer even to this day i think he's one of the best rock drummers around his timing is spot on it all comes together when nirvana plays together a trio that you have to respect and this is the first album that their second guitarist pat smear plays on and he contributed a lot to the sound. I think. Absolutely. So, yeah it, yeah, it just always amazed me that that was a three-piece that you hear in Nevermind. And Cobain said earlier on, he said, I, I really wanted there to be another guitar player in the band. And so they finally got Pat Smear. But you can hear the evolution from Bleach to Nevermind to In Utero. And Kurt had said, you know, had he not passed away, unfortunately, <laughs> that he wanted to take the band in more of a pop music direction. And there are songs on In Utero that you can definitely hear that. Like that kind of me, that, right? that, that unconventional, <laughs> he had an unconventional sense of pop music. Yeah, which yeah, was yeah. influenced by the Beatles. He's one of his earlier influences sure, were sure, the sure. Beatles. And so, and you can totally hear that in this album. Yeah. But some of the lyrics are still very dark <laughs> as opposed to the Beatles, but I'm with you. Anyway, let's listen to our number four song, Heart Shaped Box by Nirvana off of In Utero. So yeah, so that was number four, Heart Shaped Box. It's, it's just such a fun song. I can't think of a more perfect song. And if you want to dig deeper into Nirvana, we covered it all on episode number 11 of the podcast. So check that out. Let's move to number three. And this is not on the media's list, but this is on your list and my list. Uh, this is Collective Soul, off of the hints, allegations, and things left unsaid, which was actually released before it was released on the major label. The major label release was 94, but it was actually released as an album pre, and it was just picked up by Atlantic Records. But it's pretty much the same exact album. This song was huge, and this is the reason that I think Collective Soul was signed in the first place. The name of the song is Shine, and this is our number three song overall. This was my number seven, and this is Alan's number one song, so, Alan, of course, lead us off on this, my friend. Yeah, my number one song. Really innovative guitar riffs in this song. And they're detuned to half step, which gives the low end of the song a little more girth and a little more punch. There's at least one guitar in there that has a really cool, at least to me, it sounds like a fuzz effect. I love the slow, easy, syncopated groove in this song. The drums are very minimalist. 
but they're perfect for what the song needs. And at the same time, you feel like there's a level of energy under the surface in this song that never really cuts loose, but it's there. The place where it cuts loose, and it was the thing that blew me away most of the song, and as you can guess, as a guitar player, what am I going to say? The freaking guitar solo is the best solo the Collective Soul ever did, yeah. and it's so freaking solid. I shocking no one that's my favorite part but continue go ahead there are two double time bridges in the song and the first one is the solo you're talking about but even in those bridges it feels like the power is held in check i played in a cover band that did this song and when you get it right it gives the song this sense of power under control that really works in a live setting the double time bridges are great like you said great guitar solo in the first one Really nice vocal harmonies in the last one. Great melody in the vocals throughout the song. Positive message in the lyrics. And this song is just so original and unique. It doesn't sound like anything else. They don't sound like anyone else. You're not going to mistake it for any other band. And just as an aside, there's an acoustic version out there on YouTube of this song with a 12-string guitar in it that's really good. And somehow they capture the power of the song even in that acoustic version that's cool so check it out they got a lot of heat from this not heat but they got pigeonholed kind of as a christian band from this because the word heaven shows up so many times in the lyrics yeah and you know they had this perception as a christian band ed roland the lead singer is the son of a baptist minister and he said that the label is unfair because there's faith differences within the band and he didn't want to label the whole band in, a, in such a light. Dean, the band's guitarist, said the chorus of the song is basically a prayer. Oh, heaven, let your light shine down. But the fact that you said this didn't sound like anybody else, there's one person who would disagree with you, and his name is Billy Corgan. Billy Corgan thought that Shine ripped them off, sued them, but the song was actually written before the Smashing Pumpkins were actually formed. Ed Roland tells that story. I always had the Shine riff, and I thought, that's a cool riff. In 1989, when I came home and spent the night with my parents and Dean, who was 10 years younger than me, I didn't even know he played guitar. So he was playing guitar, and I joined in, and I showed him the riff, and he was like, I need to finish this. So we literally wrote it there, Dean and me sitting in my parents' living room in 1989 before the Smashing Pumpkins were a thing. Well, I said Billy's vocal sounded whiny, (laughs) and now you know why. He regularly ripped Collective Soul on stage and with the press. Collective Soul retaliated with the 1995 song, Smashing Young Man, (laughs) which which kind of portrayed Billy Corgan. Corgan would often play part of Shine before stopping in concert and saying how much he hates the song and the band. I love these rock star ego feuds. (laughs) They're so stupid. It's just entertaining. It is, though. I mean, oh, my gosh. And Billy Corgan's amazing. Collective Soul is another thing. It's okay to not be the same, but he still hates them to this day. Who knows? Anyway, our number three song, Shine by Collective Soul, hints, allegations, and things left unsaid. Our number three. Okay, that's our number three, Shine by Collective Soul. 
Now, are you in suspense yet? You should be. You should be. <laughs> Sorry, my Yoda moment. <laughs> you will be. You will be. Rob is the Yoda of the Dirty Dozen podcast. Mm, yes, yes. Let's move on to number two. That was Shine by Collective Soul. Great tune. Uh, obviously, the last two songs are on everybody's list. Let's just assume that. This is the media's number two song. This is my number three song. So I'm going to talk about this. And this is your number seven song. This is by a band called Pearl Jam off of their Versus album. The name of the song is Daughter. The hi-hat count in into that acoustic guitar, which kind of foreshadows the vocal line, is fantastic. The verse is so good and engaging. The vocal line in the chorus is fantastic, too. It originally was supposed to be called Brother, not Daughter, but it was changed into the writing process to Daughter by the producers. And I love the breakdown after about three minutes or so. So, Alan? I love... The way the song starts off with an acoustic guitar that just sounds amazingly yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And then the opening drum fill is brilliant. It sets up the groove of the song perfectly. I love the blend of acoustic guitar with a raw electric guitar. And then when he launches into the guitar solo, it's a, it's a country-flavored guitar solo. Well, it's clean. That's why. Yeah. 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 And the bass. Jeff Ament is such a great player. The bass adds so much to this song. But in my opinion, Eddie Vedder's vocal makes the song. And Jeff Ahmed, do you know that he actually took the picture that's on the cover? Uh, of the camel or whatever uh, that no, is? It's, it's a sheep gnawing at a wire fence. Yeah, oh, boy. He, he actually took that picture. Just a quick sidebar. Eddie Vedder is the classic deep voice rock singer along the lines of earlier guys like Jim Morrison and Eric Burden. And he has that gravelly. So vocally expressive. And emotive voice. But it's got great melody and a great chord progression. And it's just, it's just so listenable. Yeah, no, it's great. It's uh, from the perspective of a girl struggling with dys dyslexia without her mother realizing it at a time when they didn't realize what that was. And Eddie talks about it. This is his quote. As the song ends, you know, with this idea that the shades are going down so the neighbors can't see what happens next. What hurts about like that is that it ends up defining people's lives. It's only in the last few years that we've been actually been able to diagnose the meaning of these learning disabilities before they were looked at as misbehavior. Yeah, before they were just called generally learning disabilities yeah. and there was no real And people thought they were categorization just being, being snotty kids and just being right. rebellious. But no one knew what it was about. And these kids, they end up being, getting the beat out of them. They had to live with that abuse the rest of their lives. Good creative people. Just and destroyed. That's... That's some really good insight right there. Yeah. You know, my brother was such a creative guy in music and art, but academically he struggled. And he went through that same stuff in school. Yeah. And I think Eddie Vedder has such an ability to put that angst in the lyrics of a song and make it work. Well, his, he's just emotion. He's emotion. Yeah. Emotive is what I call it. But he's really emotive yeah, yeah. in everything he it's sings. a perfect word. Let's play Daughter by Pearl Jam. Our number two. Okay, that was number two. Daughter by Pearl Jam. Now, 
The moment you've all been waiting for. Can you believe it? What could it be? Our number. I know what it is. One. I don't know what it is. This was the media's number nine. My number four is your number three by an artist called Radiohead off of an album called Pablo Honey. And the song is Creep. Yes, it is. And was that the song you were thinking of, by the way? Oh, yeah. You can really hear the Nirvana influence in this song. Subdued, clean tone guitar in the verses. And an in-your-face dirty guitar comes crashing in on the choruses. The songwriting is very clever. The same chord progression through the whole song, but it's not obvious because it's done with different levels of dynamics and instrumentation. They do a similar thing to what I mentioned with the Aerosmith song earlier, the major chord followed directly by the same minor chord, and in which the tension of the minor chord coincides with the point of maximum angst in the lyrics, where he's saying, I wish I was special. And the lyrics are disturbing. F-bombs galore. And you never know if the songwriter is just in kind of a funk or if he's feeling so down, he's ready to go out and slit his wrists. Well, the song's about, it was written before the band formed, actually. He was infatuated with a girl, but never had the courage to walk up to her. And he followed her around like a creep. And he finally got himself drunk enough to build up the courage to confess his obsession with her. And she freaked out and just ran away. Wow. And the three blasts of the guitar noise that precede the chorus was a result of Johnny Greenwood, his guitarist, trying to sabotage a tune he considered too wimpy. Wow. But for me, that's one of the best parts of the song. Absolutely. That just, it just the power is so compelling. The rawness of the dirty guitar and the power of this song and the implied desperation in the lyrics just makes this song so compelling. You can't not listen to it. And they had problems with the song. He felt like the song made them feel like a one-hit wonder. And he hated, 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 do I say it enough? Hated the thought of the radio version. He thought that it lost the anger by changing effing to very special. <laughs> this song was special. I'm so effing special is the way it's supposed to go. Yeah. And on the radio version. I wish I was special. You're so very special. <laughs> he hated that. He didn't feel like the song represented them. He kind of felt like he was trapped by the song. It wasn't necessarily who they were. They left it out of their set during the OK Computer tour. They really? just stopped playing it. Tom felt like he had to feel the emotion and the trueness of the song, and he kind of lost that for a while. And he couldn't sing it if he couldn't feel it. They still play it now, but they were accused of ripping off grunge and momentarily lumped in with that genre. Right. Like, like you said, they sounded Nirvana-ish, but this is one of these songs that even if you wanted to, you couldn't avoid the chorus in the 90s. Right. Uh, the dynamic shift in the tune, the falsetto on the bridge, fantastic. Just one of the most iconic songs of the 90s. Absolutely. And definitely, whether or not Tom York loves the song or not anymore... This is the reason people know that Radiohead exists. Yeah. This is the reason they had then other albums and they had great albums like OK Computer, which is a much better album. But this song made that possible, I think. I hear it as a perfect combination of lyrics and music. The lyrics complement the music and the music complements the lyrics and you can't separate them. And, and that is just such clever and good songwriting, in my opinion. Absolutely. So let's listen to Creep 
our number one song. The best song of 1993. Take that, MFers. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I wish I was I didn't know the story about him stalking her. That, that's, yeah, that's adds a crazy. whole new dimension to the song. If you ask him about it, he doesn't necessarily tell that story a lot. Okay. But yeah, understandably in his book, why. he kind of told it and uh, a couple other things. But yeah, what a fantastic song. That's our number one creep. And we made it through. Yay. What a good group of songs we came up with. Rob, there's a song that I love that you didn't talk about. Don't worry. We're going to be talking about the songs that missed the cut. I'm going to play at least 10 to 15 seconds of each of them. That was on my list. It was on Alan's list. And that was on the media's list. So let's just start with my list. I had three songs that missed the cut. My number six, and the media's number eight, actually. Today, by the Smashing Pumpkins. My number nine was Independence Day by Martina McBride. And finally, my number 10, Gin and Juice by Snoop Dogg, off of the Doggy Style album. I think I'm going to talk about... I'm really torn. We talked about Smashing Pumpkins, so I'll skip that one. It's between Independence Day and Gin and Juice. I'll talk about Independence Day because we haven't talked about country here. I saw Martina McBride, and I mentioned this. We did this on episode 33, which was the Country Albums Part 2 podcast. I saw her in the Trump Taj Mahal Casino in Atlantic City. I saw her opening up for Tim McGraw. And she blew him off the stage. Wow. Her vocals were unbelievable. She can belt it. She can belt it out. And there's a great story that I talk about. And I'll talk about briefly here. Her start in the business. She started out pushing merchandise for Garth Brooks, trying to get her foot in the door. She ended up opening up for him later on down the road. Of course, there's a lot more to the story. Check out the podcast and you'll hear the whole story. But she ended up doing great and having a major career and it's one of the best singers of all time this song took a while to take off and it's not until the oj simpson thing happened that this took off because it's a very dark song from the point of view of an eight-year-old girl the song is about spousal abuse the husband beats his wife and she gets fed up and burns the house down with both of them in it saving her child and Martina McBride, ever since doing this, she has become the spokesperson for many domestic abuse charities. I really love the song, and it was my number nine. Thought about putting it higher, but there we are. So, so Alan, you had songs that missed the cut as well. Alan, you had three songs that missed the cut. Your number four, All Apologies by Nirvana, off of In Utero. In the sun, in the sun. 
are number 11, Get a Haircut by George Thorogood, off of the Haircut album. Holy mom and I should get a haircut and get a real job. Get a haircut and get a real job. Clean your act up and don't be a slob. Your number 12, Cold Fire by Rush, off of Counterparts. She said, just don't disappoint me. You know how complex women are. I'll be around. You don't let me down Well, we've already talked about Nirvana. And we did the podcast on Rush, I think, last year, right? So if you guys want to listen to that, go back and listen to that. Yeah, it's on episode 28 if you want to check that out. But, continue. but my number 11 was just George Thurgood and Destroyers get a haircut. To contrast with some of the music we've been talking about, it's good to know that even in 1993, there was still room for 12-bar blues-based rock and roll. And George Thurgood is an expert at that. And I saw him live. Really? I saw him. It was one of the best seats I've ever had for a concert. I was at University of Arizona. This is in probably around 90. I was front row center for him. The whole show was fantastic. One of the better shows I've seen. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. And amazingly enough, in this song, he never mentions drinking, which is unlike him, probably because he didn't write the song. That's probably why I didn't like it. The, the, the band is tight. <laughs> Great guitar tone by George. Classic rock riffing. There's a liveliness to this song that makes me wonder if they may have recorded it mostly live in the studio with minimal overdubs. To top it off, there's a carnival-esque sounding keyboard that really adds to the like, good time feel of the song. The lyrics will give you a chuckle too. This is just a good old straight ahead rock song that makes you want to get up and dance. George Thurgood said, we just got incredibly lucky with the timing. Grunge, grunge rock and the garage thing was big at the time. I said, eventually Neil Young is going to write a song like this. And he's going to give it to Nirvana or Alice in Chains or something like that. Uh, actually, the song is the same song that Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young when they sang I Almost Caught My Hair. He's got a great sense uh, of humor. Sometimes something so old, it's new. And what really thrilled me is when we did it, the song went to number one, requested a number one played in Canada on FM radio. Not in sales, but when you take number one, well, for what it is, well, Canada's is our place. <laughs> We're going to play haircut for the rest of our lives up there. <laughs> and there's a lyric in the song where he's comparing himself to his brother, Bob. And then he finally says, I'm 10 times richer than my brother, Bob, now. Yeah, that's Because I'm a big rock star now. All right. Well, the media also had songs that didn't make the cut. And this should be interesting. And we can talk about... What song okay. we want to talk about after we listen to it. So here we go. The media had several songs that missed the cut. Their number six, Regret by New Order. Their number seven, Living on the Edge by Aerosmith off of Get a Grip. things in a different way. God knows it ain't his. Sure ain't no surprise. Yeah, we're on the They're number 10, My Sister by the Juliana Hatfield 3. They're number 11, Feed the Tree by Belly. Big red tree grew up and out, throws up its leaf spins, round and round. 
and their number 12 off of the Coneheads movie picture soundtrack, Soul to Squeeze by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So which, which one are you going to talk about? A couple of them. Uh, well, you get to cho- you get choose one. Well, being just quickly, being a bass player, the Red Hot Chili Peppers would not be who they are without Flea. But going, getting to Aerosmith, they've been compared to like the, the American version of the Rolling Stones. Sure, sure. And when you hear Joe Perry sing background vocal harmonies with Steven Tyler, it totally reminds you of Jagger and Richards. It's, it's the same thing. And they're just so good at it. Yeah, and I mean, that song, Living on the Edge, that was the one that almost made my list, actually. The riff starting off the song is so solid. The, the song is still relevant today, if not even more so than I'm, what it was I'm, I'm living it, like yeah, you just said. Yeah. You know? yeah, something wrong in the world today. I don't know what it is. <laughs> There's something wrong with our eyes. It's just yeah. like, what's going on in the world? The great lyrics pull you in, and you feel yourself agreeing with this song almost more than any other Aerosmith song. Uh, the chorus is great, and the guitar line keeps the chorus together. Bridge, nice pace. Inspired by the Rodney King riots of 92. Yeah. Talks about how the world's a crazy place, but people remain stuck in their routines and refuse to change. And, you know, so many celebrities feel like they have to make social commentary on what's going on in the world. But, you know, I think songwriters have a little bit more of just a feeling of what's going on and can put that into words in a way that expresses things that gets to the heart of the matter. Yeah, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or anybody, you can feel the world living on the edge at this point. It's uh, interesting, real sidebar on this, the three big drum hits that you hear near the end of the song was made with the bass drum that Steven Tyler stole when he was in marching band. (laughs) (laughs) He was kicked out of school after an undercover cop posing as a student busted him for drug possession. So later when he played the prom, he took the drum. (laughs) Wow. So you'll learn something new every day, folks. All right. Let's just take a second to remind us what our Dirty Dozen was. Let's rewind. Our number 12, Crazy by Aerosmith. Our number 11, All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow. Our number 10, Low by Cracker. Our number 9, Cherub Rock by Smashing Pumpkins. Our number 8, Human Behavior by Bjork. Number 7, Mr. Jones by Counting Crows. Number 6, Mary Jane's Last Dance by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Our number 5, Are You Going My Way by Lenny Kravitz. Our number 4, Heart Shaped Box by Nirvana. Our number 3, Shine by Collective Soul. Our number two daughter by Pearl Jam. And our number one song, Creep by Radiohead. So this has been so much fun. Thank you, Alan. Oh, it's uh, great to be here, bro. You're, you're always prepared, and I'm always blessed to have you here. And uh, oh, such so good. Thank you, everybody out there who are listening to this podcast at this moment. Thank you for voting. Thank you for being part of the community. I am so excited to see what songs we're going to be playing this year. So far, we have three artists in. Weezer, Alice Cooper, and System of a Down. We're currently voting for Classic Rock, so get out there and vote this week. We'll have those results by Friday, and next week we'll be doing Metal. So definitely keep involved. Check out the Facebook page and follow up. 
I'm so thankful for all the votes. I can't believe how many votes have come in. Thank you for all the new people who are getting involved. I've seen more and more new names popping up on the voting lists and the like lists and like us and share us and do all that stuff. It's awesome. I can't believe how many episodes we've done. I know. This is 64. Can you believe it? That's, that's amazing. I'm just so happy to share this with good friends and, uh, and, and find new friends and all the conversations we've been having on social media. I really love you guys and I'm so excited. Next week we're doing 1992. My man Jason Weck is going to be joining us. Great keyboard player, Jason. He is fantastic, which should be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. And we're rushing down to the end of the 90s. I can't wait. And then we're going to be doing all these new bands next year, which we're already starting to sign up people. And we're going to be ready to roll and continue to roll. We have a couple special things happening, which I'm not at liberty to talk about yet. But Stay tuned. But be ready. This is not something that you're expecting that will happen probably in January, I guess. Because uh, I think I'm going to record the first one of these special episodes at the end of December. What's Rob talking about? Nobody knows, but I know. So I, it, I don't know. I know. Nobody knows. And it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to see you guys in two weeks. And thank you again, Alan. God bless. I'll see you guys soon. See you in two weeks.